from A Street in Bronzeville, 1945. Kitchenette Building. We are things of dry hours in the involuntary plan, grayed in and gray. Dream makes a giddy sound, not strong, like rent, feeding a wife, satisfying a man. But could a dream send up through onion fumes? It's white and violet, fight with fried potatoes, and yesterday's garbage ripening in the hall, flutter or sing an aria down these rooms. Even if we were willing to let it in, had time to warm it, keep it very clean, anticipate a message, let it begin, we wonder, but not well, not for a minute, since number five is out of the bathroom now, we think of lukewarm water, hope to get in it. From A Street in Bronzeville, 1945. Welcome to the Composition Podcast, episode one in 2022. Happy New Year to you. Shout out to you if you are listening. This is your host, Dermaine. Um... First off, I just want to say I hope everyone is in good health and good spirits coming into the new year. I feel like a year ago when I started this podcast, the world was in complete hell. I had my own COVID scares. Everyone around me had COVID scares. And here we are a year later thinking we would make it through. But no, in the exact same situation. So, yeah, shout out to you if you made it through and if you're in good health, good spirits. And even if you're not, shout out to you still. Um, I hope everybody's adjusting to the new year properly. I think that's going to be the biggest thing. The key word for this year is adjust. I'm adjusting. Just keep forward. So, yeah. The opening poem comes from the great Gwendolyn Brooks. It's from her A Street in Bronzeville, published by Harper and Brothers in 1945. And I chose that opening poem because I kind of feel like it goes hand in hand with my first book of the month. I'm going to get into in just a second, but um, a little bit about Bronzeville before I go into that book. So Bronzeville is a neighborhood known as a black neighborhood in the south side of Chicago, just 10 minutes from downtown. But originally after the Great Migration, when Southerners, black Southerners would travel north for uh, better jobs and better living opportunities, it grew to become this uh, financial and cultural hub for African-Americans kind of like a Harlem in New York or a Black Wall Street in Tulsa, but at certain points in time grew to be bigger than both of those. It was home to Chicago's first Black-owned life insurance, realty, and financial institutions, and home to venues like the Savoy Ballroom, Regal Theater Complex, and the Sunset Cafe, which both have huge importance in music, film, and live performances. Scholars from Illinois Tech note on the school's website that today, Bronzeville is undergoing a revitalization driven by entrepreneurial African-Americans that want to keep the rich history inside the community for many generations to come to experience. So shout out to them, whoever you are. I think it's important for these spaces like Harlem and like Bronzeville and many, many others to continue to exist. Bronzeville itself was home to many great African-Americans like Sam Cooke, Bessie Coleman, Quincy Jones, Ida B. Wells, Joe Lewis, and of course the great Gwendolyn Brooks. And many young African Americans don't even know that Bronzeville ever existed. 
and continues to exist. So we have to preserve where it is that we come from. Whether we like it or not, we all have a commonality within these inner cities where African-Americans migrated to and flourished in. So places like Bronzeville, like Harlem, plenty of others, we have to preserve them, have to make sure that they're around 50 to 100 years from now because this is what our history is. The same way Gwendolyn used her writing to encapsulate and preserve the community she grew up in, that's what we have to do actively, use whatever tools that we have to preserve where we come from, what it is we learn and continue to push it forward. So I feel like the character Sydney does that in my first book of the month, which is called When No One Is Watching by an author named Alyssa Cole. She's a New York Times and USA Today best-selling author and self-proclaimed nerd of all trades. My first time ever coming across Alyssa Cole's work was a book called How to Catch a Queen, a part of her Runaway Royal series. In that story, she builds a world brick by brick and places romance right in the middle of it. It's a really, really good story, and I definitely suggest you check it out after you check out this book. In this story, Alyssa does a masterful job bringing the main character, Sydney Green, to life. She welcomes you into a world that's very familiar if you've ever felt with the effects of gentrification or any type of inner city circumstance. She throws every possible monkey wrench into the equation. Romance, cops, killers, disappearances, everything. I either find myself ridiculing Sydney throughout the story for her terrible decisions she's making, or I find myself empathizing with Sydney for making the exact same terrible decisions throughout the story, because it's like, what are you supposed to do in this situation? Yeah, she's in a lot of fucked up situations. But, you know, once you read the story, you'll completely understand why I say that. So if you have your books with you, for sure, pull it out. Our excerpt today is going to be coming from pages 94 through 97. So, let us begin. Sandrine pauses to look over her shoulder, sighs, then says, Can you push the button? I press the unlock button on the underside of the counter in front of me and hear the jingling bells hanging from the door, followed by the scrape of flip-flops as someone shuffles into the room slowly without lifting their feet. Hey, Sandrine, and is that Miss Green's daughter? I see why Sandrine sighed. Hi, Denise. Denise knows my name is Sydney. She just likes trying to start mess and has for years. Girl, you look like shit. Did you wash your hair this time, Denise? Sandrine asks in a tone that's much different from the one she uses to speak with me. My appointment is in asks. half an hour. I'm going to wash it now, Denise snaps. I popped in because... Sandrine sighs. I'm almost finished with Sydney. How long do you think I will wait? Denise draws her head back to look down her nose at Sandrine. You'll wait just like I have to wait for you every other time I come here. I can't argue with that, even if she does get on my nerves. They stare at each other for a long moment. Sandrine loses and goes back to focusing on my braid. Anyway, I popped in before washing my hair because the police swarmed up on Gifford Place a little bit ago. My hand grips the edge of the seat. Is that what all those sirens were? Sandrine asks casually. She doesn't live there. 
only knows me and a couple of people who are clients. Yup, they rode up to Jamel and Ashley Jones' house and stormed in, pulled up the floorboards in Preston's room. The boy was moving weight, apparently. Felony weight. My stomach turns. Preston Jones? That doesn't make sense. I'm not going to pretend I know anyone's secrets, but his family is solid and does all right for themselves, and he seems to have a very definite idea of how he wants his life to turn out. I can't reconcile moving felony weight with the nerdy boy who regularly showed up at my door over the winter to see if I needed help shoveling and who always has his face in his books. It isn't that he's too smart to sell drugs, but if he is involved in that, he's too smart to be holding an amount that would jeopardize his future or put his parents in danger. Denise drugs, not a bit of sense, and no one was in the room when they found the drugs either. Don't change the fact that they arrested him a little while ago. He was crying like a baby. His mama is a mess. Part of me wants to get up and swing on her, going around telling the Joneses his business to anyone who'll listen. But when I glance at her in the mirror and see the red flush under the light brown skin and her wide eyes darting back and forth, the urge fades away. What is the proper response to seeing a child arrested? Another child, the umpteenth child when you've lived here long enough. And worse, arrested for something you can't be sure they actually did. Even if they get found guilty? Denise and Sandrine continue talking, but their conversation fades into the background as my breath starts to come fast and shallow. The police came for Preston. The knowledge that it can happen just like that, that they can show up and ruin your life, feels like an itch in the middle of my back that I can't reach. Sandrine rests a hand on my shoulder, stilling me. When she speaks, her voice is gentle. I'm almost done. After what seems like eternity, but is likely about 20 minutes, I'm out of the chair and marching back to Gifford Place. When I get there, people are congregating in front of Mr. Perkins's house. Do we know where Preston is? Gracie Todd asks in her crisp masterpiece theater accent. She's pushing 80 and wearing a simple blouse and slacks, but with her elegant gray bob and fine bone structure, she looks like an aging black starlet. There's no more cash bill, right? I saw that on the morning news show. Shouldn't he be home soon? Mr. Perkins shakes his head. They can still add bail for what they call major traffickers, and apparently whatever they found makes him a major trafficker, being held at major trafficker bond amount. Rumbles of anger and disbelief rode through the small crowd. Were they wearing body cams? I ask. Mr. Perkins sighs heavily and count wines at his feet. Apparently, they forgot to turn him on. Preston didn't mess with no drugs, John, Miss Candace says, fury in her voice. We all know that. Yes, we all know that. Maybe the police know that too. Doesn't change a thing, Mr. Perkins' lips pressed together. How will they pay the bail, I ask. Can we raise money or something? Go fund me? When I left, they were on the phone with someone talking about the equity for their house. That's why 223 sold, you know, Gracie says. 
The husband got caught up in some charges, assault or something, before the bail reform. He was exonerated eventually, but they had to sell the house to pay for all the legal fees. Goosebumps rise on my forearms, even though the midday sun is scorching and the humidity is strangling. I rub my palms over my arms as I worry my bottom lip. Something about this whole thing nags at me, but grief is running interference on my thought processes. Preston hasn't died, and people are already coming together to figure out what to do. But this very well could be the wake for the boy's future. My chest hurts and my head is pounding from the tight braids and the sadness. Without saying anything, I step back from the crowd and head back to my apartment, wondering whether it's too early to have some wine. The answer is no. All right, so there we have it. That is pages 94 through 97, chapter 5 of Alyssa Cole's When No One Is Watching. It's a really great story. It's part love story, part fucking horror story, part whodunit, and then part tale of gentrification. So it's a lot to learn and experience in this story. Really, really great book. She gives us this community, this Gifford Place community, where there's camaraderie, where there's uh, a sense of family upon everybody, apparently. But slowly but surely, it's all being stripped away mysteriously out of nowhere. So to see how that all unfolds, trust me, you're not going to want to miss that. Definitely go get this book. Check it out. It's one of those stories that if I say a little bit, I'd be saying absolutely too much. You just have to experience it for yourself. And when you do, definitely let me know what you think about it. Either on my social media at thecompositionbookclub.com, in the YouTube comments, wherever. Tell me what you think of the book, what you liked about it, what you didn't like about it, all of that good stuff. Um, also, check out my full review at thecompositionbookclub.com. I'm going to break the whole story down, what I thought about it. So, yeah, pretty interesting. Um, Before I get into my music that I found for this month, or excuse me, for this week that I really, really enjoyed, just want to talk about some pop culture right quick, give some RIPs, and, yeah, do it like that. So, my first... R.I.P. is going to go to John Madden. John Madden, born April 10th, 1936, died December 29th, 2021. He is a Hall of Fame and legendary, beloved NFL coach, coach for the Oakland Raiders. And he is the namesake for the Madden NFL franchise. It's been the biggest, pretty much the only, but definitely the biggest football franchise for video games since what? 1992, long before I was born, and I've been playing Madden for as long as I can remember, maybe since I was six or seven years old. I even remember Madden where you had the little highlight bubble to, to, to show you where to throw the ball with accuracy. So RIP to John Madden, he's definitely gonna be missed, definitely gonna be memorialized as a football great for all time to come. I also wanna give a rest in peace to another great white American. Betty White, born January 17th, 1922, died December 31st, 2021. She had an illustrious career that spanned over seven decades and included seven Emmy wins. 
Her catalog included notable shows like Another World, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Date with Angels, but most notably of them all is The Golden Girls. Dorothy, Rose, Sophia, and Blanche are all shining in heaven together again. So rest in peace to Betty White over the last, I would say, 10 to 15 years. She's really grown as one of the biggest pop icons in America. So for sure, rest in peace to Betty White. Um, right before her 100th birthday, too. I believe two or three weeks before her 100th birthday. But if there ever was a way to go... It would definitely be on the last day of the year. It felt like she took all of that 2021 20, nonsense away for us. So rest in peace to Betty White. Um, into pop culture. Let's see. Hmm. Where do we even begin? It's going to be a long year if we know anything about 2021. But let's start with Antonio Brown. I'm a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Shout out to Ben Roethlisberger for just playing his... uh. Final home game of his career recently. I got to watch that game live. I honestly thought we were going to lose, but we pulled it out. The defense played amazing. Shout out to Ben Roethlisberger. But aside from that, Antonio Brown has flamed out yet again. He's become the very first huge meme for the month of January in 2022. I'm um, January 2nd. Bucks at Jets. Antonio Brown quits the game during the game. He strips off his equipment after reportedly being told to go in the game while injured. Now, there were a few different reports that came out. It was reported that Antonio Brown had incentives that he had to reach or wanted to reach in order to receive a million-dollar bonus. And then there were reports that Antonio Brown checked himself out of the game because he was injured against the advisement of head coach Bruce Arians, who tried to force him back in the game. He wouldn't go. Bruce Arians told him if he doesn't go, he's not a part of the team. And here we are with the whole debacle. There's videos online of him running across the end zone during the middle of the game, stripping off his equipment, even after his teammate Mike Evans, I believe it was, tried to, you know, talk him off the ledge. Uh, now, let me tell you, growing up, I've always been a huge Antonio Brown fan, which is why this is hard for me to watch. I've always, like, went to bat for this guy. He's always been my favorite receiver and my favorite player, actually, even through his shenanigans initially. But at this point, it's like, when is enough enough? It's almost like watching Kanye West on a football field. <laughs> Just keep putting his foot in his mouth. Now, I understand if you're injured and you want to check yourself out of the game, cool, great. But to, like, publicly embarrass yourself again your teammate teammates again kind of disgracing the nfl in a sense like running through the end zone during the game i kind of see it as unacceptable a lot of people are defending it saying well if he's injured what do you expect him to do what was he supposed to do and i feel like you know we gotta at some point with this guy address what he actually does this i feel like is a little over the top and now i love the guy I support the guy I always have but at some point, you got to just know when to be professional, when to be, when to hold your character over what you're going through. And too many times, it seems like Antonio Brown falls flat on that. Maybe I'm wrong, though. Tell me what you think on the Antonio Brown situation. Do you think he was wrong for quitting on the team or do you think he even quit on the team? Do you think he was wrong for refusing to go back into the game when it was reported that he was injured? 
as of today, he's still on the Buccaneers roster, so maybe it's not that bad what he did. Who knows, maybe Tom Brady has that much power to where he can control the situation a little. Uh, we don't know. We'll see. But um, praying for Anto Antonio Brown. I hope he does get to continue his career in the NFL. But like I said, again, this one just looks like a really big slap in the face. And maybe the last time we'll ever see him on the field. Let me know what you think about it. Aside from that going on in pop culture, one thing I have to point out just as a, a lover of literature is Amazon's shadow banning of writers. I have to give a shout out to author Tiffany Roberts for her initial reporting of Amazon cracking down hard on independent authors for pirated works. Well-known author Ruby Dixon had her entire new and back catalog for literature blocked on Amazon because so-called supporters of hers that have been pirating her work have been selling it on Amazon illegally. Now, if you do support an author, please just buy the work either from their website or from Amazon outright instead of downloading these uh, pirated PDFs because it can destroy that writer's catalog. So what happens is Amazon blocks them from receiving whatever back pay or whatever new pay that they're receiving from Amazon for their work. And it's a really, really nasty mess. Hopefully it can get resolved, it can get figured out. But just imagine these writers being put in these situations that they're not even putting themselves in. Somebody else is pirating their work, uploading their work for free or in a different type of format. And Amazon is figuring it out. They're seeing these things and they're blocking the, the writer. The writer suffers for it. They get the burn of it and there's nothing they can do about it. Amazon doesn't go to the writer and say, hey, this is what's going on. This Your name is attached to this. They just completely block these people and it's nasty. So hopefully that can get figured out soon. But again, shout out to Tiffany Roberts and Ruby Dixon. Hopefully her situation is cleared up. And yeah, man, like writers, readers, we can't have that type of shit going on. We have to support each other the right way. If you want to support a writer, buy the work. It really should be that simple. If you don't want to buy the work, take your ass to a library. They still exist. They're still around. But as far as pirating literature, it should never get to that point. Um, this is probably the most integral art form. So we have to have it around. We have to have writers motivated to write and still have the tools that they need to be able to write. We can't have this type of stuff happening. So yeah, moving on from that, I want to introduce you all to some new music, uh, a singer slash rock star that I found named Beauty Marsh. She's from Maryland, has been doing music ever since she was a child. She really recently stepped out into her own lane, a mix of R&B and rock, and she calls herself an R&B rock star. I completely agree with her. She recently released her new EP called Beauty's Body. It's on all streaming platforms. Definitely go check her out now. The one song I am excited to share with you all, excited for you all to listen and get feedback on, it's called Nostalgia. It's the very first song, I believe, on the project. It set a tone, for me at least, it set a tone that carried throughout the entire four uh, songs on the EP. And it's for sure my favorite. So here it is. 
listen to it. Let me know what you think in the comments, in the YouTube, on my socials, on her socials, and on the Composition Book Club website, where you will find a link to the project. So, without further, further ado, excuse me, here is Beauty Marsh, Nostalgia. you can stay here forever you'll wish that this moment wouldn't end you'll dream about the memories forever and how it made you feel no need to pretend it feels like the moon is on your hands it feels like summer has no Nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia 
Follow her on Instagram at I am Beauty Marsh, all spelled the regular way M A R S H on the Marsh. <laughs> um, yeah, that was nostalgia from her Beauty's Body EP. Definitely a song I've been loving for the last two or three weeks. Hopefully, I get to sit down and talk with her, get to speak with her about it, about the project, and anything she has coming up. But until then. Uh, yeah, continue to read, continue to open up your books, expand your mind, you guys, uh, continue to grow and learn for this new year. Uh, you can follow me on my socials at underscore Dermain on all social medias, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Um, follow me on Goodreads too. I'm setting my goal this week for how many books I want to read. Shooting for maybe around 40 that might go up. I'm not really, really sure. But the next book I have coming up for us on the reading list for the book club is going to be called The 1619 Project by Nicole Hannah-Jones. Really deep book, really touching book, and I can't wait to get into it with you guys. So until then, keep reading, keep learning, keep expanding your mind. This has been the Composition Podcast, Episode 1. I'm out. <laughs>